Greetings, family. Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Fernando, your secretary for this meeting. Let us go ahead and open with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer, please. By the way, Merry Christmas. Just act like it, okay? That's going to be the topic for today on the daily reflections. Acting like it, okay? Turning things over and acting like it. Here we go. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. All right, our 12-step movement has been the... uh, a wonderful uh, eliminator of sickness and disease in our lives, especially uh, drinking and and fighting and carousing and and trying to be men and women by saying, "Oh, look how tough I am! I can drink this half gallon and destroy our livers." We're very courageous. <laughs> Okay, guys, I just picked an article from my, uh, I'll be reading it from my library, October 1993, Grapevine. So there's a couple of articles in here that are uh, the price. One of them is called What's Going On in Your Group? A collection of articles sharing some of the concerns of AA groups today. So uh, here's one called What the Guru Said. So let's go ahead and get it over with since I brought up the topic. It says... A friend of mine told me of his trip to a guru, a real one, on the mountains of Tibet. They discussed the meaning of life, the goal of which they decided was to transform oneself to the highest degree of connectedness with the world, with oneself, with people, and with the infinite. Which is exactly what I do in AA. The 12 steps teach me how to relate, to connect with the world, myself, people, and God. Step one, two, and three, deal with my relationship to the world. Step four and five, my relationship with myself. Step six and seven, my relationship with God. And step eight and nine, my relationship with people. Step 10 through 12, recapitulate the process. Recapitulate. Taken in combination, step one, two, and three, establish a right relationship with the things of the world. I admit my powerlessness over alcohol and ask for help. During my time in the program, I found that my powerlessness extends to just about everything in the world, people, places, and things. But because of the paradox of recovery, I find that as I admit my powerlessness, I have a greater degree of control over my life than ever before when I admit my powerlessness. As my relationship with the world heals, I become more connected to the world than I ever was when I drank. Step four and five ask me to take stock of my behavior and to tell my story to another person. Here is where I I achieve connectedness with myself by sharing with another. I discover who I am. I connect to myself. In steps six and seven, I must again turn to a power greater than myself, this time for help in removing my destructive behaviors. D 
These steps put my relationship with God in the proper perspective. God can do what I cannot. I ask for help. God provides it. I become properly connected to God. Step eight and nine require me to make amends for actions that have harmed others. It is essential to my recovery that I take responsibility for what I have done. It is through these steps that I connect with the rest of humanity. Step 10, 11, and 12 are about continuing the healing process and maintaining a healthy relationship with myself, God, and the people. The 12th step is about the joy of living. And indeed, I have found much joy in life after working these steps. All of these without a trip to Tibet. This is from FH from New York, New York, October 1993. Merry Christmas, family. I'll be right back. Today's Daily Reflection, December the 15th. That was a great article, huh? You know, they had a little picture of two guys uh, with sticks climbing the mountains. And that's exactly what I did in Sacramento. I met an N.A. guy, and he had all the equipment. To There was a fresh pack of snow out there, and we all wanted to get excited and get out there before the weekend. So the next day... Him and I took off to the second tallest mountain in California, or the third. I think it was the third. Um, anyway, it was it it was he didn't want to finish it. There was about an hour left. He go, that's enough. You know, it was starting to get pretty dangerous. You know, the slopes and kept telling me to stay away from the slope. That was my first time. You know, the trees had uh, ice sideways. It was so cold up there. But on that three, four-hour, five-hour trek as we went up there, um, I told them my story. And that's how much how much time I needed. The funny thing about it is we were walking up every 30, 40, 50 feet. He would stop and take some clothing off. And it seemed like he was exhausted. And I kept wondering if it was my story. Because he was just groaning and moaning, and I don't know if he was out of shape or whatever. Long-haired uh, buddy of mine that I met at a laundromat. We were both doing our laundry. And here we go. I'm doing my fourth and fifth step with a member of the 12-step group. Perfect stranger. Never saw him again. Never talked to him again. But finally, I encouraged him, come on, let's finish this. Let's finish this. And when we got to the top, we can, we can see Lake Tahoe. We can see San Francisco. We can see, all, you know, it's just beautiful up there. And I got rid of my 
fourth and fifth step. So my point is, I encourage you to do it with a stranger. Ask God, turn it over, and and be ready to go on a on a hike, and just dump your fourth and fifth step. I love you. Okay, December fifteenth, going, doing anything to help. Today's daily reflection. Offer him the alcoholic friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 85. Except pay his phone bill, right? <laughs> I got fired by this guy. He asked me two, three times to pay his $60 phone bill. And um, today we're best of friends, but he got himself a new sponsor. That Same thing, he doesn't pay his bills. We get a lot of babies over here in AA. I was one of them. I remember how attracted I was to the two men from AA who 12-stepped me. They said I could have what they had with no conditions attached. That all I had to do was make my own decision to join them on the pathway to recovery. When I start convincing a newcomer to do things my way, I forget how helpful those two men were to me in their open-minded generosity. I remember how attracted I was to the two men from AA. The 12-step, that that 12-step me. They said I could have what they had with no conditions attached, that all I had to do was make my own decisions to join them on the pathway to recovery. Beautiful, beautiful reading. Thank you so much. To listening to me today, I'm going to have to take a 30-minute break, and we're going to move, switch over to Faith to Faith, our higher power uh, teaching for today. And the big, big book, that's what I meant. Thank you. Uh, let's go ahead and pray the uh, serenity prayer for those of you who need to take off to work. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Welcome to today's teaching of Faith to Faith, Kenny Copeland, December the 15th. Today's article is called A Carefree Christmas. And we're using Philippians 4, 6 right out of the Bible. It says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests made known unto God. Philippians 1, 6. Can you really have a Merry Christmas even when you have a thousand and one pressure bearing down on you? Yes, you can, and you don't have to leave the country to do it. No matter how intense or how trivial the problems are that you're facing right now, you can have the most wonderful, most carefree Christmas season you ever had in your life. And you can start having it today. 
As a believer, you're probably familiar with the scripture that says to be anxious for nothing. But have you ever taken it seriously enough to put it into action? There's a good chance you haven't because you haven't understood just how dangerous those anxieties are. You probably haven't realized that they're a daily part of the devil's strategy against you. That's right. Worry is one of the chief weapons of his warfare. If he can get you to worry about them, he can use the financial pressures and family pressures and scheduling problems that are just a normal part of everyday life to weigh you down and drag you into more trouble than you think possible. Medical science tells us that a high percentage of the people hospitalized in the USA are there with ailments caused by worry and tension. Yet a great many believers worry without even thinking about it. They'll worry about being too short or too skinny. They'll stew over this and that and not even realize they've been sinning. They're sinning? Sinning, Brother Copeland? Yes, for the born-again, spirit-filled believer who owns the Bible, worrying is a sin. So even if the Christmas cards are late and 45 people are coming to your house for Christmas dinner, don't worry. Instead, do what the Bible says to do. Pray. Make your request known to God and praise Him for the answer. Then you'll have peace. Now go ahead and have a truly Merry Christmas. You carefree thing, you. (laughs) You carefree thing, you. And remember, for us, we turn it over, and I give it over to God, and I thank Him that I have that He's there listening, and I just keep thanking Him that He's He's taking it. It's a skill, folks. We need to develop. It's a skill turning things over. I'm talking to you that are always bugging your sponsor about the worrying things, and you're always <clears throat> we're we're not a, a psychiatric place. We're solution-oriented. If you're not listening to the solution, what can we do? The solution is turn it over and start practicing with small things and people that bug you. Say, God, I can't handle this. I give it over to you. And thank you that you're listening. And then act and, and thank. continue to thank him every time the thought tries to come back in your heart. I thank you, God, I give this over to you. I thank you, I thank you. That persistence thought will go away, and then you will see a higher power pull that thing out of your life. And so you'll say, wow, this chemistry really works, this process, turning things over. We can do it, folks. We need a lot of failure to keep practicing. Do you have a lot of failure? (laughs) All right, we're going to move over to Matthew 20. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, which is what Kenneth Copeland is asking us to read up on. Okay, I thought I had it already. Matthew 26, chapter 6, verses 24, excuse me. It says right here, uh, I have the Amplified Bible, so it's going to go fast says, if you decide for God, if you decided for God, 
Living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look, look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more than him, than birds to him. Has anyone by fuzzing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashion, walk out into the field and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen colors and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives you such attention to the appearance of wife, wildflowers, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, even seen, do you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fusses over these things. But you know God both in how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Let me go ahead and read it in the uh, back to the our translation that we all like, which is a real simple one. It's called the, uh, what is it called? You tell me. The New Living Translation, that's what it's called. <clears throat> It says right here, Matthew 24. <clears throat> I won't keep you long. I'm going to cup another six minutes. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. Or we can't worship God and do things on our own or, or rely on ourselves without turning it over. That's my spin on that. If you de- decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. That is far more to your life than there is. The food you put on your stomach more to you outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job. In description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Huh, I'm still in the message Bible. <laughs> no wonder his son is so familiar. Sorry about that. Can he hang in with her? I'm a misfit. I messed up. Ah, I better slow down. Here we go. Matthew 6, 24 to 34, New Living Translation. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cared so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What we will wear? What we will buy? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful reading. All right. Uh, let me see. We got one more reading for right now. It's called Limitless Love for December the 15th. And you can go on your merry way after I read Psalms. <laughs> Psalms 15, which is very short. Here we go. This is by Gloria, Limitless Love. Acting in love will set you free. Then Jesus said to, said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 16, 24-25, New American Standard. I've noticed a great number of people, even Christmas people, are having trouble with depression these days. That in and itself may not be anything new. What is new, however, is that professional worldly voices are now putting fancy names on it, calling it a condition, and making people think it's okay for them to have it. They're not just doing that with depression either. They're doing it with things like anger... These days, if someone lets their anger get out of control, we excuse him and say he has a rage, a road rage or an airplane rage and acts as if they're victims of something that just can't be helped. As believers, we need to reject those kind of rationalizations. We shouldn't take those names the professionals are giving us. We shouldn't just submit to them and say, well... I guess I'm just a victim of clinical depression or chemical imbalance. Oh, there's nothing I can do about it. ADD, APB, and all these things they put on you. Or my, my diabetes or whatever. It's not my diabetes. It's the devil's diabetes. I don't claim that stuff, folks. And I'm not killing myself either. <laughs> Certainly, there's something we can do about it. First, we can get honest about where those things come from. 
depression and rage of every kind are of the devil. They are signs that the devil is coming to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. And we can stop him by digging into the word of God, attending to it and obeying it, and by spending time fellowshipping with the Lord in prayer. We can rise up, resist the devil, and according to the Bible, he will flee from us. One way to resist the devil is to stop focusing on ourselves and focus instead on the Lord and the good things he has done for us. We can also get busy with our minds and bodies tending to someone besides ourselves. Most people who are depressed have tunnel vision. All they can see is themselves. Things just aren't right for me. They think, I don't feel good. I'm not doing well. I'm a failure. I'm unloved. I've been mistreated. No one loves me. I, I, I. Anyone can get depressed if they think about themselves long enough. So stop thinking those kind of thoughts. If you're having trouble with depression, make yourself get up and go do something to help someone else. Start giving of yourself and listening to the Word of God day and night. Actively release your faith and expect God to make you whole, spirit, soul, and body. Attend to and act on the truth of God's love, and that truth will make you free. Action, folks. Turning it over in action. Put on some music. Act like the greatest thing has happened. You won the lottery. That's what we did. We won the lottery with Jesus he is everything, really. Turn it over to him. All right, I need to let you guys go. I did say six minutes. Uh, just one more psalm. It's very short, Psalm 15. It says, God, who gets invited to dinner at your place? Now let's go to, who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. Amen. God bless you people. May the Lord protect you and make you all that he's called you to be. And uh, thank you so much for staying here. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. Reading from Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul, page 96. My little yellow room, my higher power built. There's a quote here by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It was high counsel that 
Once I heard given to a young person, always do what you are afraid to do. It was high counsel. Always do what you're afraid to do. This is come to us from Shannon. For a long time, I thought the little yellow room was a recurring dream. In the dream, I entered a tunnel and scrambled forward on my hands and knees like a child climbing up a slide. At the end of the tunnel was a small square opening about the size of a doggy door, big enough for only my child-sized body to fit through. Once I made it through that opening, there was always a sense of relief. I had made it, once again, to my little yellow room. The room was the size of a small powder room, painted a pale yellow, the color of cool sunlight, on an early summer morning. Before anyone is awake, there was no fixtures or furniture, but there was a ledge that I always climbed to sit upon. Besides the ledge, there was a window with pretty ruffled curtains blowing in the breeze. Throughout my childhood and into my adult years, I remember these recurring dreams and sometimes wonder what they meant. They seem more real to me than any of my other dreams, and other than a few repeated flying dreams which differ from one to another, they were the only dreams my mind returned to and time again. The little yellow room <clears throat> dreams were always the same, and the room never varied. I always sat beside the window and waited in peace. The year my daughter turned five, I started having flashbacks about what happened on the other side of the small square room to my little yellow room. I learned that the years that <clears throat> survivors of childhood sexual abuse <clears throat> often remember their abuse when their children reached the age that they were when they were abused started. <clears throat> I also learned <clears throat> the real reason behind my lifelong struggle with depression and compulsive eating. My mind had been at war with these memories for two decades. I learned that when physical trauma is too harsh to face, the mind protects itself and finds ways to leave the body behind. I learned that the little yellow room was not a dream and that psychologists called it dissociation. After three years of therapy and the support of a loving and wonderful husband and best friend, I found Overeaters Anonymous, a 12-step program for compulsive overeaters that treats overeating as a physical, emotional, and spiritual illness. I attended online meetings and found an email sponsor who would help me work through the steps. I wrote down every bite I ate and practiced abstinence. 12 little steps <clears throat> seemed like a quick fix I needed to cure my eating problem. The first step was easy. I had known I was powerless over food for many years, growing up in a family of alcoholics and drug addicts. I knew to stay away from those drugs, but I had convinced myself that food was a safe way to numb the pain and stuff the memories. The second step said I had come to believe that a power higher than myself could restore me to sanity. I was less sure about this step, but I certainly hoped there was I was thrilled. The 12 steps were a breeze. I'd be down from a size 18 to a size 8 in no time. Step 3, however, brought me to a sudden halt. Step 3 said I was to make a decision to turn my life and my will over to God as I understood Him. I couldn't do it. Couldn't even say the words. Unlike the second step, I didn't even hope for it. 
I thought about the years of Sunday school, the little girl who showed up every week but was afraid to speak. Why hadn't anyone noticed? I thought about the church I belonged to when I first remembered the abuse, the grown woman who was moved to tears nearly every week and who once even had to leave the chapel mid-servant to compose herself. Why hadn't anyone reached out for, to comfort me? I thought about the horrors that went on behind the little square door. Why had God allowed that to happen to me? I was stuck. I knew if I were to progress in these steps, I would have to examine my relationship with God. Step three said to turn my life and will over to God as I understood him. I didn't know what I understood. I only knew the sense of panic I felt when I started to think about a relationship with God. <clears throat> my heart raced, my chest hurt, the abuse and the loneliness I felt afterwards taught me not to trust anyone, not even God. How could I turn my life and will over if I couldn't trust? I turn, as I often do, to the pages of my journal. What is my relationship with God? Guarded like with everyone else. Stand behind the yellow line, please. Call me on the phone. Don't talk to me face to face. Guarded. I am afraid. Afraid God will hurt me. Afraid he will not love me. If I open myself to him, I am making myself vulnerable to pain again. I handled pain by eating when I was a child. Also, I hid in the little yellow room. Hid. The next words seemed to come through me as if someone else was guiding my hand. I wrote quickly without questioning. I hid in the little yellow room, and I know now that this room was built by God. So he is a carpenter after all. God, you built me that room. Thank you. That was a safe place for me to wait. I was stunned for 20 years. I thought the little yellow room was a dream. Then for a while, I thought it was some abstract psychological phenomenon, a defense mechanism that happened automatically to protect my psychic from the horrors of abuse. Now, I believe that room was built lovingly for me by my higher power as if he had come down from heaven with his hammer and nails some sheetrock and a bucket of pale yellow paint that looked and felt to me like cool early morning sunshine on a summer morning before anyone else was awake shannon beautiful story our next story is called healing tears and this one is sent to us by loretta m b loretta m b it says i had been almost six months it had been almost six months since our daughter kendall died at the age of nine after a five-month battle with a brain stem tumor it was a, a devastation loss, but with two other children to love and nurture, there wasn't always the time to slip away and let the tears flow. Still not being made of stone, it wasn't easy to hide when the grief rushed in and made its presence known. It was around this time that I became aware that my youngest child, Celestia, was modeling herself after a gesture to urge my husband, Paul, and me out of our intermittent times of sadness. 
It was not her job to keep us smiling, and I didn't want her to take on the role of caregiver and keeper of her parents' hearts. She knew, however, there was a particular smile that she could flash at us that pushed our emotions to the side and caused us to explode in an unbridled laugh. Now, this was a welcome change at most times, but there also needs to be a time of tears to cleanse. Rest assured, Paul, Paul and I were going doing our best to keep up a good front when the family was together. Yet moments of sadness might overtake us. When it wasn't easy to retreat into the bedroom, the shower, or schedule it for a later slot, these times were relatively sporadic. But to a six-year-old, it must be painful to see your parents grieving. Celeste came over to me as I sat pondering a memory. Apparently, sadness and loss must have been obvious across my face. Mommy, she said, as I looked up, answered her. She flashed the cheesy grin that usually precedes a spontaneous crackle. And true to form, it did because I wanted her to know that it wasn't her job to keep us smiling, I asked her to sit on my lap. I wanted to protect her heart, so I guarded my words carefully. Celeste, mommy likes it when you make her laugh, and you have a special way of doing that too. Celeste smiled with approval. You know that we all miss Kendall, I continue, and sometimes we think of her, we will be happy, and sometimes when we think of her, it will make us sad. That's she isn't here with us. I paused to read her expression. Sometimes when we're sad, we might cry. Celestia was gazing at me steadily and mirroring my facial gestures in an effort to empathize. The thing is, Celestia, that I know it makes you feel sad to see mommy or daddy sad and you want to make us smile, but there's a reason for the tears. She was nodding her head to show her dislike. For our tears. You know when you fall down and scrape your knee? Yes, Celestia's eyes were larger and intense. What do we have to do before we put the band-aid on? Wash it. She was confined in her answer. That's right. When mommy and daddy cry, it, it is like God washing our hearts so that he can put his bandage on us and help us to heal. Was this really me talking? I thought that if I was receiving an example from God. Celeste was thinking of this over. Even though you may not like see us cry, Celeste was shaking her head from side to side as I spoke. Sometimes we need to because the tears are actually helping us to heal. I held her face in my hands. And even though I love to see your beautiful smile, please don't be upset when you see us having a short moment of tears. Just know that God is helping us to wash our hearts so that he can heal them. We concluded our talk with a tight hug and a tickle, and Celeste bounded down the stairs to resume her play. Thank you, God, I pray, for not only helping me to explain to Celeste, but for explaining it to me. Loretta M.B. Woohoo! Outstanding. Let's go ahead and pray the uh, <clears throat> Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
And forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family, for another cup of chicken soup from the recovering soul. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often has some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history, but for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. There is a solution for some of us like the self-searching delivery of our pride, the confessions of our shortcomings, which, which the providence requires for a successful consumption. But we saw that it really works for in others. <clears throat> and we had to come to believe in the hopelessness fertility of life which we had been living in. When therefore we were approached by those who the problem had been solved. There was nothing left for us to do but pick up a simple kit of spiritual tools. Later in our feet we have found much of heaven and rocking into a fourth dimension of existence which we hadn't even dreamed. The great fact is just this is nothing less. That we have deep affected spiritual experiences which have revolutionized the whole attitude towards uh, life, towards our fellows, towards our God's universe. The essential fact is our lives today are, is absolutely certain that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in which, in which is indeed miraculous. He has accomplished and commenced and accomplished to those things which we would never do by ourselves. If you are seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we pass into the region from which there's no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other, to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. Page 62, please. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think it is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later place us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically a wrong-making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of the selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. 
And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us have moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we cannot live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is the how and the why. But first of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that there, after a drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is a principal. We are his agents. He is a father. We are his children. The most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of a new triumphant arch, which we passed through freedom. When we sincerely took a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer, being all powerful. We provided what we needed keep close to him and performance work well. Establishing our central footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves and a little plans design. More and more, we became uh, interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt a new power flow in, we enjoyed peace of mind. As we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, thereafter. We were reborn. We were now accepted. Three, many of us said to our maker, as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and the way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. Page 76, please. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go off from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Turn to page 86, please, on awakening. On awakening, let's think about the 24 hours ahead and consider our plans for a day we begin. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking him to reward us for self-pitting, dishonest, self-seeking motives, which under these conditions we can employ our mental faculties with insurance. For after, all, uh, for after all, God gave us grace to use, our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane uh, when our thinking is declared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we face indecision when we may not be able to determine which course to take. Here's where we ask for God for inspiration and to a thought or decision. We were laughing, taking these, we don't struggle. We are often surprised how, how right the answers come if we try this for a while. Uh, what used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves of others if others will be helped. 
we are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives and friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires definite morning devotion, we attend that also. <clears throat> if not members of religious bodies, we sometimes like to memorize a piece of prayers that emphasize the principles of which we've been discussing. There are many helpful books out also. Suggestions of these may be obtained by one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use what they have to offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful. We ask for the right to sit, for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. Humbly say to ourselves, many times we say, I will be done. We're in a much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become more and more efficient. We do not tire so easily. We are not burning up energy foolishly as we deal with our turn arrange life to suit ourselves. Uh, page 416, please. It helped me a great deal to become convinced that alcoholism was a disease, not a moral issue. That I'd been drinking as a result of a compulsion, even though I had not been aware of the compulsion at that time, and that sobriety was not a matter of willpower. The people of AA had something that looked much better than what I had, but I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a certain sense of security in the familiar. At last, acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. After I'd been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, not finding the program working very well, I was finally able to say, Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it is all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? When I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I, had, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. It accepts it as the answer to all my problems today. I, when I'm disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, or thing, or situation, or some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can't find... No serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at the moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens with God's world by mistake until I accept my alcoholism. I could not stay sober unless I accept life completely on life's terms. I cannot be happy. I need not concentrate so much on what needs to be changed in the world, but what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said, all the world is stage and all the men and women are merely players. He forgot to mention I was a true critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation, and I was always glad to point it out because I knew he wanted perfection just as I did. AA and acceptance has taught me that there's a bit of good in the worst of us, a bit of bad in the best of us, and we are all children of God, and we each have the right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying I know better than God. Okay, let's turn to page 420, please, where it says acceptance. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit and do nothing while waiting for Him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever's in front of me to be done, and I leave the results up to Him, however it turns out. That's God's will for me. 
I must keep my magic magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations, for my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. When I remember this, I can see I never had it so good. Thank God for AA. Let's go ahead and turn to page 100, please, both you and the new man. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in a path disclosure promise. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When you look back, we, we realize that the things that which came to us when we were putting ourselves in God's hand were much better than anything we could ever plan. Follow the objectives of a higher power, and we will put, and you will presently live in a new, wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. Turn to page 83, please. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace no matter how far down the scale we have gone. We will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will truly know how to handle situations we used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always mature less if we work for them. Page 85, please. It's easy to let up uh, on our spiritual program of action rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do. Of course, alcohol is a subtle flow. We're not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve of the cognition of the maintenance of a spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry out that vision of God's will unto all of our activities. How may I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly, and we can exercise our exercise our willpower along the line of all we wish is proper use of the will. Much has been said, no, much has already been said about receiving strength and inspiration from direction from him who has all knowledge and power. We are, if we are not, if we have carefully followed directions, we're going to sense a new a flow of his spirit into us. We must, to some extent, we have to become God conscious and we believe and we have begun to develop a vital sixth sense we must go further that means more action page 43 please once more the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink except in a few rare cases neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense his defense must come from a higher power. <sighs> wonderful, wonderful DN. Beautiful greeting, man. Hey, anything happening there, Anthony? Uh, yeah. Life, huh? Rick is saying yeah. it's, it's cold. cold. My car woke up with ice this morning. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's going to be 32 degrees. Yeah. Uh. Uh. She, uh, say hi. Hi, little girl. Say hi, Avery. 
Say hi. Let me see. <laughs> there you are. Hey, beautiful. Hi. hi. <laughs> Say hi. Hi, this is Uncle Fernando. Say hi. <laughs> hi. Oh, <laughs> yeah, she's nice and humble. God bless her. Amen. Yeah. That's that's a good that's a good re reservation. Ready to go to daycare. Very good. Take care, Anthony. Give him heaven. Thank you for checking in. Right, thank you guys. Have a bye. great day. Bye, Rick. Oh, see, bye, you. Bye. See, see you guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, we got some usefulness. Bye now. All right, let's go ahead and finish up with the uh, Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory and the honor forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It is working. Remarkable things are happening. <clears throat> Did I tell you that uh, my son called me yesterday and he said he paid my AAA um, for the year? It so happens I bought him one two, three years ago for him and my granddaughter. They run around a lot. He goes one way, 62 miles. I don't know if I told you already, but... He texts me, he says, Dad, I, I paid for the bill, almost 200 bucks. And I said, happy birthday. Beautiful, huh? I paid it once, and I think he's, he's getting in the habit of paying it every year. I'm not sure he paid it last year, too. But uh, our intention was to keep paying it for him and, him and my granddaughter, because they were traveling all over um, Northern California working. I love you guys. This thing really does work. Let's learn to turn, turn things over, especially this Christmas season. And our higher power can handle it. I love you. God bless you. Sober Voices Podcast. person's men's meeting. Uh, we meet at 7.30 in Lemoyne, Pennsylvania on Thursday night. So my parents got divorced. I was very young when they, they split up. My 
my mother was from England, so once they split, once they got divorced, she went back to England. Uh, it was right around when I was five years old, and I haven't seen her since. And so, also my dad is a self-proclaimed alcoholic. He's actually now in recovery, and he did what alcoholics do, drink. Uh, so I ended up being raised by my grandparents. And, you know, God loved those folks. They were, they were in their 50s when they were given responsibility for a five-year-old boy. Like, they were ready to retire, ready to, like, move on and relax with the rest of their lives, not start a family, if you will. So they did a fantastic job, loved them deeply. Like, I learned a lot. I have a lot of great childhood memories because of them. And so one of the things I'd like to also add is, like, never tell your your kids, if you're listening to this and uh, you were drinking and using prior to your kids being born or... So my, my dad was on the phone with me the other day and we talked about this. Uh, and he says, you know, I never should have let your mom drop acid while you were in the womb. Like, <laughs> that's not, like, encouraging. So don't, don't tell your kids that, those types of things. <laughs> so needless to say, they did a lot of drinking and partying during the entire pregnancy. And so that has given me a, a, a lot of gifts that keep on giving. I had a lot of difficulties in school between the, um, the conditions, um, uh, dyslexic, uh, learning disability, all joking aside, but I rode the short bus when I was a kid. And that was one of those things where it caused me to feel apart from, like I didn't fit in. One of the things that happens a lot of times with us short bus riders is the non-short bus riders pick on us, call us names, threaten us, stuff like that. So I learned really early on in school some coping skills for that, which is violence. If you punch a kid hard enough in the nose, they'll stop. And so violence is part of my story as well. Keep on going like I'm going to school. I'm, um, I just, the whole time, I'm just not feeling like I'm a part of, like I don't fit in, like I don't belong. One day, uh, me and my buddy Todd, I remember, like I, I can remember this day exactly. I've, probably because I've told it so many times, but so it's ingrained in my memory. And like at this point, I assume this is the way it happened, but no, this is the first time I ever took a drink intentionally and there have been plenty of times when i had sipped alcohol i'm quite certain of it in fact there's a great picture of me when i was a little kid probably about uh, four years old with a uh, big bottle of, of a big can of budweiser and i got this big stupid smile on my face and this stain on my shirt and it, it looks like i'm just like the happiest kid in the world but here i am uh, fast forward to I'm nine years old, my friend is over, and I decide that I'm going to get this bottle from underneath the, the sink where you keep poisons, right? And I didn't know what it was at the time, but I, I know today that it was Jack Daniels, and I know exactly what Jack Daniels does. And so I, I took that bottle and I climbed up on the counter to get in the top shelf to get two shot glasses. And I got those shot glasses and I poured them 
perfect shots, you know, so where the there's the bubble, it's like over, right over the lip, you can't move it, you have to sip it off the top. And so I didn't get drunk my first time drinking, um, as far as I know, but it was the next time, when I, the following week when I went to Todd's house, and uh, we got a, a fifth of absolute vodka, and it was the best time of my life, my nine-year-old life, right? Up until then, I knew I was missing something, but at that point in time, like, I knew that I wanted to feel this way forever. And so that's pretty much from there on out, I spent all my resources to drink. I stole from my grandmother. I took the money a lot of times that I was given as lunch money to, to drink with. So uh, I was played football in high school, which really helped out a lot in a lot of ways. That helped me graduate school. I didn't plan on going to college because I just didn't feel like I was smart enough that I would be able to make it. Even though at one point I did receive some interest from a college to play for a partial scholarship, I just didn't think I was good enough to, to go to college. So I went into the Army right out of high school. It was actually a dream of mine to, to serve in the military. My entire family history uh, has has served people have served in the military so it was just one of those things that I, I really wanted to do and so all I ever wanted to do was really be an airborne ranger and I kind of pictured myself like one day dying in a, in a, in a heroic battle was like the best I had in, in store for myself so I started my military career, and what I did not realize is that alcohol was uh, a thing that in my life that caused a lot of problems. There was times when, when I was right in my teens, and the you know, outside of the normal teen angst, if you will, I, you know, I, looking back, like how many kids keep a case of Stroh's beer in their closet just in case. And so here I find myself in my room drinking warm Stroh's beer out of the can. That's absolutely disgusting. Like, I I don't even know why anybody would want to drink cold Stroh's beer to begin with. But here I am, I'm in my room drinking warm Stroh's beer. And so... Like, I think back now, you know, alcohol really helped me get through my teenage years, feeling the way I felt, uh, living the way I lived. I don't think I would have lived very long, probably would have killed myself in my teens if it wouldn't have been for alcohol. So anyways, so I'm in the army and, uh, you know, I'm in the infantry and, and I'm doing what I think like all infantry does. I'm just doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, we train hard and, you know, I drank hard, apparently harder than other people, or I just got in trouble more often than other people did. Also drugs are a part of my story. Marijuana, cocaine, like kind of run through my, my story uh, for the longest time. Before I went into the military, I was smoking pot on a daily basis, basically because it was easier to carry a a bag of weed than a fifth of Jack Daniels. 
but I ended up doing a hot year analysis when I was in the military. And I guess with that and the trouble I had been in through drinking, uh, drunk and disorderly, charged with other things as well. I missed morning formation because I was too drunk to show up. And they frown upon that. They don't like it when you don't show up for work, especially since where where I worked and where I lived were like in the same location. I remember vaguely one time, you know, we'd get up at like five o'clock in the morning, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, and we'd run PT. And so there's like blackouts were a thing too that I, I probably failed to mention, but I remember coming out of a blackout and I'm in the shower and completely naked and I'm, I'm washing my hair, uh, what little bit of hair I have. And as I come out of this blackout, I have this, this slight second of panic, like where am I and what am I doing? Once I realize that I'm in a shower, I just kind of continued along. And I hear guys talking about this five mile run that we just did. And I don't remember any of it. I don't remember showing up for formation. I don't remember I'm like, did I make it? Did I, did I make the five miles? And they looked at me like I was crazy. So apparently I do better PT drunk than I do when I'm sober because I absolutely hate running. It's like the worst thing you could ever ask me to do. So as I was getting in more trouble, they, they said, uh, you know, at, at that point I had lost any rank that I had gotten again. And they said, we no longer need your military genius and they supplied me with the papers to be kicked out of the military. So here I am, kicked out of the army. I have no idea which direction I'm going or what I'm supposed to do with my life. And the only thing I'd ever planned on doing was to be in the military. You know, I just, I just didn't know what to do next. And like not drinking had never really been an option. Now I tried, I shouldn't say that, I tried different things. Like I, I knew uh, there was something different with me long before I ever tried to get air quotes sober. I would go to periods of time when I would just smoke pot and I wouldn't drink. And there was times that I would just drink and not do cocaine. And so it never seemed to like, it, it was always something else, right? So it was, well, oh, it's not the weed. Oh, it's not, the, it's not the drinking. And so then I just went right back to drinking again because I'm an alcoholic. And that's when looking back, I can see where my condition is of the mind and body, as it talks about in our literature, that I have this physical allergy that when I put alcohol into my system, something happens that, that I've lost the ability to choose or control my drinking. Like it's just, I can't do it. Uh, I have this, compulsion, as I've heard it referred to, that I need to continue to drink. The other piece of that is I don't know at what point that kicks in, because I have experience looking over my life where I did not take one drink and then go into a blackout and drink for three days. I have plenty of examples of drinking one or two beers and going on about my business. And so I would fall on those. I would fall back on those as see it. I'm not like them. I'm not that bad. But then I have this other aspect, right? Where when I'm not drinking, I'm thinking about drinking. And I didn't know that this was a, 
I, I thought, I really thought that this is just what everybody, like how everybody thought because I placed, put myself around people that did that. Right. But then I had this third piece, right? The third piece of my condition is like the soul sickness, like this selfishness and self-centeredness in my core. And so with those three things, like, and I, I talk about this a lot, like if, if I could have just not had one of those three things, I wouldn't be talking on this podcast right now because I've met lots of people that drank like I did and some of them actually thought like I did, but for whatever reason, they don't end up coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. They have the ability to control it. And, you know, what it talks about in our literature where it says, um, you know, the heavy drinker is able to stop abruptly and stop if the doctor asks them to, or if their life situation changes, or if they decide to further their education, as a friend of mine did. Like, I could not do that. But I didn't understand that this was a, a, a medical condition. I didn't understand that there was the three things. And I just thought it was, I was just a failure. That And it just strengthened my thoughts already that I had because, because of my learning disability, because of my ADHD, it just kind of strengthened that idea that it was all my fault, right? Because I was the problem. You know, what do you do when, when your life is over, you know, kicked out of the military? What do you do when your life is over and, and you have no direction to go in? Well, you get married because my life was over anyways. I figured I might as well get married at this point. And so that poor woman that I married, she was not an alcoholic. We were together for three years. I lived together for three years, I should say. And, uh, and she put up with a lot. But the end result there is that I've lost this ability to choose and control my drinking. I couldn't stop for her, even though she was a great person. Even if I had wanted to, I couldn't. And so that, that ended in divorce. She didn't like the way I drank, and, and I didn't like the way she told me that I, she didn't like the way I drank. <laughs> you know, I had, uh, I had lost that ability to, uh, to deal with that. So I, I moved out, we got divorced, and I continued to drink. So 23, I think, was my first, maybe 24 was my first AA meeting that I attended. I had gotten a DUI at some point in time. Uh, wrecked a car and so it's it's like it says that the, in the, our literature my drinking life seemed to be the only normal one I sought out sordid places as it says in our literature and you know people that drank like I did and acted like I did I liked that because they accepted you know air quotes they accepted me for who I was and I find myself in a in a rat hole of a bar and I'm sitting on one side of me as a, a local a police officer from the city and on the other side of me is this drug dealer and I'm in the middle having a conversation with both of them and that's kind of where I lived my life in between the two I just barely keep staying out of jail just barely becoming a complete criminal so I Ended up walking into this AA meeting, not by choice. My grandmother had uh, wanted me to 
go to AA, the, the, the mechanic um, that worked on my grandmother's car had seen the damage over the years that I had caused to cars. And we have, alcoholics have interesting cars because, you know, there's the, the guardrail scrapes where we bounce off the guardrails during our, our drinking and driving the missing side mirrors because they get taken off by other cars as we're driving down tight streets, dents in the front and in the back of an unknown origin. There was times I couldn't even tell you what I hit. Uh, one time I ended up somehow parking on a bush. I'm, I have no idea how that happened. So I come into Alcoholics Anonymous because my grandmother really wanted me to. She up in a meeting and, you know, I just remember it being like in the church basement, it was dark and dank and, and there was just a bunch of grumpy people in there. And, you know, maybe that's just how I was viewing the world because later on I talked to those people and none of them were really that miserable, but that's just the way I viewed it. So they passed the basket, they did the seven tradition and I was like, I know that's what, that's what you people are about. Uh, you want my money. They talked a lot about, uh, they said, they said something I didn't want to hear and they talked about God. And, you know, I, somewhere along the line, I got this idea what, what, what and who God was. Uh, I'm not sure how I got it, but every time you people wrote, said, or read the word God, I heard, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you're burning hell. And like, that's what I heard when you said God. I don't know where I picked that up at. I, I just, I don't know. And then after the meeting, you guys were real welcoming, right? Like I didn't like that either. I saw it a totally different way. I like to talk about my, uh, my alcoholic hearing and my alcoholic thinking. Like I only hear some of the things some of the time. I have an alcoholic memory too, because so when people, and I know, like they were welcoming, right? But that's not how I saw it. I kind of pictured a, a zombie apocalypse movie where I'm the last human being and all these people in AA are uh, zombies. And, you know, instead of saying brains, they're going, keep coming back. And, uh, like, they were after me and I just needed to escape. So I made it back to my grandmother's house and she stayed up, right? She was very excited that I was attending an AA meeting and normally she'd be in bed at like eight o'clock like old people do. And so she stayed up and she, I walk in the house and I will, I will never forget this day. And she's like, so how'd it go? Like very excited. And I said, it went great. They told me I wasn't an alcoholic. And like nobody told me at that meeting that I wasn't an alcoholic. And she had this hope, right? That like somehow this, this would change, this would make a difference. And I could see like the look in her, her eye and it was not what she expected. And so I, after that AA meeting, I continued to drink uh, right up until I got another DUI. And then this time I went to a drug and alcohol counselor. He told me a couple things and the things that I remember the most, he said, um, cause I was telling him that I'm a strong-willed person and that I don't need to stay away from people, places, and things. And he said, first off, you know, as far as your will goes, I, I suggest you eat a box of laxatives and will yourself not to shit. And I thought to myself, like, I'm paying this guy for this 
advice. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. And today it like makes complete sense to me. And cause I had also told him that I had been to one AA meeting and I didn't like it. And he said, have you ever been to a bar you didn't like? So like, first off, no, I've never been to a bar that I didn't like. But anyways, he's like, you've never been to a bar you didn't like, you would go to another one. And I'm like, that didn't make any sense to me either. And so once the, once the charges are dropped, I, I didn't need to see him anymore. I, it was crazy. And I continued to do the same thing that I had done. And I was, I had been going to the bar for the three months of my sobriety of after that last DUI and seeing him for three months, still going to the bar every weekend, shooting pool, hanging out, patting myself on the back, telling myself I had figured it out, driving friends down to the city so they could buy crack. Yeah. So like, like staying the normal people are not the, the, the connection for people for crack. Like that's not sober behavior. I didn't know that at the time. Like I thought that was completely okay. So it ends up, I drank again and got another DUI. And at this point I had, I just knew I didn't want to do this anymore. Let me throw in there really quick that the people talk about, remember your last drink. Like my last drink was not that big of a deal. It is in the sense that I, you know, at four o'clock, I, I went into the bar on a, it was a, it was a Friday night, went to the bar at four o'clock. I was going to go in and have two beers, go home, get showered, get dressed and go out for the night to the club. Cause that was like a standard thing I would do. And I went in there at four o'clock and the next thing I know is they're calling a last call. It's 2.30 in the morning. I hadn't eaten all day. And I got in my car and drove as fast as I could to the diner because at that point I was starved. And the cop pulled me over and he said, uh, where are you going? Where are you, where are you going so fast? I said, I'm, I'm going to the diner, officer. I'm, I'm really hungry. If you let me go, I'll buy you something. And he didn't think that was that great. He didn't think it was funny. You know, gave me a field sobriety test. I did great on it. Like, it's fantastic. I scored off. It was like off the charts, right? Because I did so well, he rewarded me with a, a, a breathalyzer and a blood test just to like nail it down. And I got charged with that DUI. And when I left there, like he, like they, he dropped me off at my grandmother's house. And instead of going in, I walked down the street where I, I knew there was always a party going on. So I just got arrested and my next thought is that I'm gonna go drink and, and use drugs some more. And I get there and it's like the, there's a couple of people passed out, like it's dead, there's nobody around. There's one guy, one, you know, one guy just kind of like stumbling around. And I'm like, this is what my life has come to. And I open up the refrigerator, there's one beer left. And I'm like, this is what, it's never like this. And I open that one beer I took a drink from it and I, I remember I'm like, I don't even want this. Like I'm drinking this and I don't even want it. And that's my last drink. And as powerful as that is, it's really the drink before that, that was really, it was a week before I had gone into a blackout. I was missing three days. Uh, I don't know what happened with those three days. I come to my, my throat had 
started to close up. Like I was having a hard time getting air. So it's like, and so I, I really thought I was dying. And I had this amazing sense of relief that it was just, I was so glad that it was finally here. And I just relaxed completely. And I'm like, thank God. And after about 45 minutes, I was starting to be able to breathe again. I have no idea what chemicals I had put in my body, but apparently it was enough to tell my central nervous system to start shutting down. Of course, I didn't know any of that at the time. So I find myself at a meeting with Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a new meeting, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, my life is over. Here I am. This guy in the meeting, he looks over at me during the sharing part looks right at me. He says, you never have to feel this way ever again. You never have to go through what you're going through ever again. And that really hit me. That really, that really, like, it was, it was a powerful experience. And I'd love to be able to say that's what kept me coming back to Alcoholics Anonymous. But there was this really cute girl about two seats down from me. And I was like, man, this AA thing is not that bad. I think I'm going to keep coming. And that girl was never came back to that new meeting again. Now I, I had started going to that meeting on a regular basis, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, I didn't really talk to anybody. Finally, I said, hey, do you remember that girl that was here when I when I came in? Like, she hasn't been back. Where, where, where'd she go? And the dude was like, I don't know. Maybe she goes to different meetings. And I'm like, what? Wait, there's there's different meetings? Like, I just thought these were, like, the five alcoholics that I was going to have to spend the rest of my life with. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to have to check out other meetings. So I started going to this Thursday night meeting. So now I'm going to Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon. And then I started going to this Thursday night meeting as well. And there she was. I'm like, I'm going to have to keep coming to this meeting. She stopped coming, but I kept going. So then I started checking out other meetings. I had never seen that girl again. But now I'm going to like between 7 and 14 meetings a week because what else am I going to do? And I got a sponsor, started working with Steps. This Young People's Conference was in a, a local city. I didn't want to go because, you know, I'm 26 at the time, 27. And like I heard a lot of people talking kind of bad about it. But what had happened is that conference had reached out to the districts and the groups and wanted a participation. And they had asked uh, my home group to do a three panel. Uh, it was a topic discussion. Three panelists would talk about the home group. So I went because I wanted to support my home group. I had, it was a, I was sober about three months at the time. Just a quick mention is I had just been getting over being 13 steps by this girl that had two and a half years. My heart was broken because I thought I was in love and she had other, other ideas. She was not in love. So the 13 step is real and it affects men as well as women. That's okay. Off my soapbox. I went to this YPAW conference out of ego because I wanted to be the go-to guy for the old old guys at my meeting, the, old, the long timers at the meeting. And I, you know, I got there the day before and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I was nervous and scared to death. I walk into this and there's so many, to me, it's like so many people 
and I'm thinking there's thousands, you know, that's my alcoholic thinking. It was probably about 300. And this guy comes coming down the escalator and he was like, sees me. Like, I didn't think I was going to know anybody. And this guy sees me. He's like, Hey, welcome. Let me show you around. And man, I fell in love at that very moment. I was like, I, I need more of this in my life. So I started attending that conference and I've attended it every year since. I missed it one year, but like the following year, a group of us wanted to, to host it. We thought, you know, we could, we could do a conference, we could do this. And so we put a bid together and we were awarded a conference. We hosted it in, in 2001, uh, Pensipa in 2001. It was an amazing experience. It was, I actually started going to college after that because as we're going into hotels and we're negotiating contracts and these people are like taking me serious and like I'm a mess but here are these business people like taking me serious and I'm like maybe I maybe I'm not as dumb as I think I am and so I I started college uh, shortly thereafter ended up being on the advisory for Pensipal for five years a very amazing rewarding experience having the opportunity to um, be involved with so many people from around the state. I refer to that conference as my traveling home group because I just love to see people from year to year and I build these relationships up that there's really no place in the state where, where I can go that I don't know somebody that's involved in YPOP because of that. Like I have built up lifelong friendships and there's still plenty of people that I interact with because of that. The welcomeness and excitement that I find in Wipaw is not what keeps me sober, but I gotta tell you, it like keeps me fired up about sobriety. But what keeps me sober is this, this power greater than myself that I found through working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I had a, a deep and effective spiritual experience as a result of working this process. Man, it's so much has changed uh, so much from when I came in to living in my grandmother's basement. So I'm presently sitting in my own basement. I met my wife in Alcoholics Anonymous and we started dating. It was the weirdest relationship I had ever had because it was the healthiest one I'd ever had. And so we, we got married. We had a, a son. We were so good at that, that we decided we were going to have one more. And then, uh, we had triplets, so like I'm a real alcoholic. I've never done one of anything. So now we have four wonderful kids. Alcoholics Anonymous and the people in it have given me more than I'll ever be able to give back. That's it. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Neil. Thank you for taking the time to tell us your story. That was really entertaining, very enlightening. I guess the first thing and the biggest thing is uh, growing up with your grandparents, I was raised in a very similar situation with my grandmother and my my family had similar tendencies as well. Did they ever say anything to you about that? Or did they, were you ever not given a, a warning, but like a yellow light, you know, maybe not something that would have really changed anything that happened, but uh, something to be aware of? So my, my grandmother, she had an eighth grade education, so she was not one to really 
pay much attention to science or medicine or anything like that. And the only thing that she'd ever said was, you're going to be a bum just like your father. <laughs> was about the only indication, right? And so that, that was about it right there. You're going to be a bum just like your father. Fair enough. Uh, for, <laughs> for me, it was I was told I was going to live in a refrigerator box, so I understand. I'm going to progress because I was thinking about this throughout the time monitor story. Uh, but, you know, you saw all these things happening. Did, did any, did you ever get any sort of inkling? Like, was there ever any, any, maybe not like a, a light of God moment, but like a, a moment where you were like, there's a lot of bad luck piling up in my life. And that's exactly how I looked at it. Like, I looked at like the negative situations that occurred in my life as just like I'm on a down I'm on the downswing of the pendulum like I had always had experiences where you know things went bad in my life but then they would always get better you know and I can really relate to to Bill's story because Bill was able to even though his like things would fall apart in his life somehow they would end up getting better for a period of time uh, and so I would hold on to the upswings as I would call them and try to ignore the downswing as much as possible. But I knew, like I knew there was something different with me, even when I was like a kid. Like I, I knew there was something. I just didn't know what. And my dad used to say something very similar, you know, life's all about peaks and valleys and it's about heading the valleys to get to the peaks. And I didn't realize at the time that he was in the program when he told me that, but it makes a lot more sense looking back you know, you talked about that first that first meeting that you had gone to and you walked into this church basement. It was dark and dank and full of grumpy people. At what point do you feel like it, it really took a turn where you, you decided, this is what I want versus this is what I need? Uh, I think there's been many of those, actually. My perspective on this is there's a lot of us that come to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I would say a lot of us need it. And a, a lot of times people come in and they want it. But it's really what I do and how I feel about whether I need it or want it, if I'm fortunate, becomes irrelevant. Because there's a lot of times I don't want to do the things that, that I do in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't want to go to meetings. I don't want to be bald. And I know what I've seen works in other people. And those are the people that show up when they want it and when they need it but they also show up when they don't want it and they don't think they need it. And so for me, it's about what I do in Alcoholics Anonymous. I like that. It kind of, like, I feel okay and I feel fine are some of the most dangerous phrases in the English language. You went to your first YPOC conference three months sober. What was it like walking into that? Because I went to my first YPOC conference, I was four months sober. And I had received a variety of reviews ranging from it is a cult to it's definitely not a cult to just go with open eyes and see what happens. And it turned into, I think, one of the defining moments of my, my early time sober. So what was it like the first time walking in? Oh, absolutely. It was amazing, dude. So what I heard leading up to it, and I wasn't going to go, like I said, people were saying that it's not AA, that it's not a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I went there with a negative, like this, to me, this was the, the task, right? But it blew me away. So I didn't receive any positive information or like, 
or go with an open mind. Like, so whoever was giving you that information definitely knew a little bit about what they were talking about and, and wanted you to experience this similar to what they had experienced. For me, it was just no positive outlook on it going into it and just changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. Yeah, that's uh, it's pretty incredible the way it can impact you, especially when you're least expecting it. So you went to the Pentipa, you, you kind of were, had the doors blown off just a little bit at first, like, whoa, what are these people doing? And then, whoa, what are these people doing? Can you talk a little bit just about how Lifehall has helped your recovery and that sense of community and, and what you know you can find in this community? So it gave me a, a real opportunity to practice these principles in all my affairs. So it's, it's great that I'm sober today and that, that I have this great program. Um, and my, this brings me back to what one of the things my present sponsor pointed out to me. In the literature, it says, uh, recovery begins when one alcoholic reaches out saying to another. And he says, he said, one could argue, which means don't argue with me. Um, he said, one could argue that recovery doesn't actually start until you start working with someone else. And so it put a different perspective on it as in, like, okay, here I am sober today. Now it's time to apply this stuff. And that's where my recovery takes place. So being involved in committee life, right? Committee life is totally different than just hanging out in Alcoholics Anonymous, you really have to learn how to practice all 36 spiritual principles that Alcoholics Anonymous has when you're involved in the AA committee life. Perfect. Uh, so yeah, so Neil, thank you again for taking the time to share your experience, strength, and hope with us on the podcast. My pleasure. The Young Sober Voices podcast is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Bid for Ikipa. If you'd like to have your anniversary announced on an upcoming episode or to submit a teaser for an upcoming YPOC conference or event, please email us at youngsobervoices at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing and want to help us out, go ahead and subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use and give us a review. This really helps get the word out to young people everywhere that they can get sober and stay sober too. Until next time, don't drink and keep coming back. Hello, my name is Matt C. I'm an alcoholic. I am the chair of the Austin Bid for Icky Paul. I would like to invite you and anybody else to Webby Paul, the first virtual YPAL conference. It's going to be held April 17th through 19th. We're going to have speakers, panels, entertainment, all sorts of fun. It's going to be a blast. You should come out. More information on www.webbypaul.com. That's W E. B-Y-P-A-A dot com. See you soon. You've been listening to the Young Sober Voices Podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Bidford Vicky Park. Hi, welcome to today's reading. I'm going to be reading for today, Proverbs 15. When I started in my recovery, 
early in the early 80s, reading the Proverbs every day got me uh, started in, uh, in recovery. It answered a lot of questions, too. It's just an amazing book, 3,500 years old. Proverbs for today is a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of fools belches out foolishness. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eyes on both the evil and the good. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. There is treasure in the house of the godly, but the earnings of the wicked bring trouble. The lips of the wise give good advice. The heart of a fool has none to give. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayer of the upright. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue godliness. Whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined. Whoever hates correction will die. Even death and destruction hold no secrets from the Lord. How much more does he know the human heart? Mockers hate to be corrected, so they stay away from the wise. A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. For the despondent every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. A hot-tempered person starts fight, a cool-tempered person stops them. A lazy person's way is blocked with briars, but the path of the upright is an open highway. Sensible children bring joy to their father. Foolish children despise their mother. Foolishness brings joy to those with no sense. A sensible person stays on the right path. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. The path of life leads upward for the wise. They leave the grave behind. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he protects the property of widows. The Lord detests evil plans, but he delights in pure words. Greed brings grief to the whole family, but those who hate bribes will live. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. 
A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news makes for good health. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be among home among the wise. Constructive criticism. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Free of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. Very good, huh? Good stuff here. Now let's loosen up a little bit and go to the message translation. Uh, that was the New Living Testament, by the way. The message translation is a, a real loose translation, which I like also. Watch, check it out. A gentle response diffuses anger but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. Proverbs 15, verse 2. Knowledge flows like spring water from the wise. Fools are leaky faucets, dripping nonsense. God doesn't miss a thing. He's alert to the good and the evil alike. Kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. Moral dropouts won't listen to their elders. Welcoming correction is a mark of good sense. The lives of God-loyal people flourish. A misspent life is soon bankrupt. Perceptive words bring spread knowledge. Fools are hollow. There's nothing to them. God can't stand pious poses, but he delights in genuine prayers. A life frittered away discusses God. He loves those who run straight for the finish line. It is a school of hard knocks for those who leave God's path. A dead-end street for those who hate God's rules. Even hell holds no secret from God. Do you think he can't read human hearts? Know it all don't like being told what to do. They avoid the company of wise men and women. A cheerful heart brings a smile to your face. A sad heart makes it hard to get through the day. An intelligent person is always eager to take in more truth. Fools feed on fast food fads and fancies. A miserable heart means a miserable life. A cheerful heart fills the day with song. A simple life in the fear of God is better than a rich life with a ton of headaches. Better a bread crust shared in love than a slab of prime rib served in hate. Hot tempers start fights. A calm, cool spirit keeps the peace. The path of lazy people is overgrown with briars. The diligent walk down a smooth road. Intelligent children make their parents proud. Lazy students embarrass their parents. An empty-headed treat life as plain, the empty-headed. The perceptive grasps its meaning to make a go of it. Refuse good advice and watch your plans fail. Take good counsel and watch them succeed. Congenial conversation, what a pleasure. The right words at the right time. 
beautiful. Life ascends to the highest for the thoughtful. It's a clean about face from descent into hell. God smashes the pretentious of the arrogant. He stands with those who have no standing. God can't stand evil scheming, but he puts words of grace and beauty on display. A greedy and grasping person destroys community. Those who refuse to exploit live and let live. Prayerful answers come from God-loyal people. The wicked are sewers of abuse. God keeps his distance from the wicked. He closely attends to the prayers of God-loyal people. A twinkle in the eye means joy in the heart, and good news makes you feel fit as a fiddle. Listen to good advice if you want to live well, and honor guests among wise men and women. An undisciplined, self-willed life is puny. An obedient, God-willed life is spacious. Fear of God is a school in skill living. First, you learn humility. Then, you experience glory. <laughs> Good stuff, huh? Very good. Thank you so much. God bless you. Give them heaven. Dr. Berg. Today we're going to talk about testosterone. And one of the things I want to mention is that steak and eggs is a great way to enhance testosterone. Now, before I tell you why, I want to mention this concept of testosterone decreasing with age. There's some new research that states that that's actually not a fact. Low testosterone is usually caused by something else, but age is not a significant factor. Now, this is some good news because if you understand both sides, what will destroy testosterone and what will enhance it, you can be in good shape because you can actually control your own testosterone. So don't buy into the whole thing where you're getting old and there's really nothing you can do. So let's just dive right in. So, why steak and eggs? How can that possibly increase your testosterone? Well, number one, red meat is loaded with zinc. And zinc is probably the number one trace mineral that will enhance your testosterone. In fact, those people who have a zinc deficiency get this condition called hypogonadism. And that is just a zinc deficiency. So you'd want to consume food high in zinc. And guess what? Red meat is at the top of the list. Now, what about eggs? Well, the egg yolk specifically the cholesterol in the egg yolk, as well as the cholesterol in the fatty steak, are precursors for making testosterone. Testosterone is a sex hormone, and it comes from, you guessed it, cholesterol. So anything that lowers cholesterol will lower testosterone. And the other key nutrient to increase and enhance testosterone is vitamin D, and egg yolks have vitamin D. Now, if you're going to do steak and eggs, there's a couple things you need to know. Number one, you don't want to do a lean steak. You want the fattier steak. You can also do a hamburger. And don't just do the egg whites. Do the yolk and the whites together. And you want to move this uh, breakfast to lunch. You don't want it for breakfast because eating breakfast and a lunch and a dinner adds too many meals during a given day. That's going to increase insulin. And that leads to the other reason why steak and eggs is a really good meal for testosterone. 
Steak eggs is low carb. And of course, I'm recommending not to add the toast or the fries or the cup potatoes with the orange juice. You want a low carb meal. Insulin resistance lowers testosterone. Now it is true that insulin can enhance testosterone, but what happens when you start to increase insulin over a period of time, insulin becomes dysfunctional. It's called insulin resistance. So it doesn't work anymore. So it lowers your testosterone. Now I'm gonna continue on with the things that will enhance testosterone, but I just wanna let you know, if we compare those things that destroy testosterone to those things that enhance testosterone, the destroy list is way more important to focus on because those are the things that suppress testosterone. And if you have something suppressing testosterone, I don't care how many things you add to try to enhance testosterone, it's not going to work. So let's first go through the enhance list and then we'll flip over to the destroy list. All right, number two, exercise. Exercise will definitely increase testosterone. Plus it'll increase other hormones too. Growth hormone, IGF, glucagon. These are all fat burning hormones. All right, number three, zinc. I already mentioned that with red meat, but oysters are even higher than red meat. Just three ounces of oysters will give you about 300% of what your requirements are for zinc. Zinc is in organ meats, it's in red meat, any type of red meat, and it's also in nuts, especially pistachios. All right, number four, asparagus. Now what's an asparagus that can increase your testosterone? Well, it's been known to not only increase testosterone, but it can increase sperm count. So it's really good for fertility. Asparagus is also good for the kidney and having a healthy kidney is essential for having healthy testosterone. And the same goes with the liver as well. And asparagus is loaded with vitamin E and vitamin E is considered a fertility vitamin. It can not only enhance testosterone, but it can also increase other sex hormones as well. All right, number five, there's a neurotransmitter called dopamine that gives you a pleasure sensation that has the capacity to influence and trigger testosterone. So testosterone can increase dopamine and dopamine can increase testosterone. And one really good way to increase dopamine is through dark chocolate. Of course, the low carb dark chocolate. Just make sure if you're gonna consume chocolate, have it in the beginning part of the day, maybe at your lunch, not at night because it can interfere with your sleep. All right, number six, truffles, okay? Truffles have naturally occurring testosterone, so we can add that to the list. And then we have saffron. Saffron is probably one of the most expensive spices, but it's considered an aphrodisiac. It increases testosterone and libido. All right, now that we have that data, let's talk about what can destroy testosterone. This list is way, way more important to focus on. Number one, you guessed it, sugar and refined carbohydrates will greatly suppress testosterone, probably more than anything else. Why? Because it develops into insulin resistance. So what does that mean? It means that you need to be on a low carb ketogenic plan if you want to increase your testosterone. If you're consuming a lot of carbs, yet you're taking all these supplements to try to boost your testosterone and you're exercising, you're wasting your time. All right, number two, statins. Statins inhibit cholesterol, the precursor that is required to make testosterone and other hormones. And I'm not telling you to get off your statins. I'm just giving you the data so you can bring it up with your doctor. All right, 2.5, which is actually not listed here, but that would be alcohol, especially beer, will really shut down your testosterone and cause you to create more 
estrogen. In fact, estrogen comes from testosterone. So the beer and alcohol will accelerate the process. I'm sorry to have to break that to you. All right, number three, stress, cortisol. That's a stress hormone. That will shut down testosterone very fast as well. There are a million things you can do to counter stress. I will put those links down below if you haven't seen my videos already. And one of the things to counter stress would be exercise, long walks. And if you combine long walks with uh, high intense interval training, I think you'll be in good shape as far as exercise goes. All right, number four, poor sleep. This is another killer of testosterone and libido. If you're not sleeping, if you have sleep apnea, it's gonna really mess up your hormones. I have a lot of videos on sleep. I put the links down below. All right, number five, MSG, monosodium glutamate, also known as modified food starch. You should start reading ingredients and start avoiding it. Did you realize that the MSG in canned soup is so high that it's equivalent to 10 bags of Doritos? MSG is a chemical that makes food taste way better than it is. And it's loaded in all the fast foods and all the processed foods. So definitely need to avoid that. All right, next one is soy and soy derivatives like soy protein isolates, soy protein powder. I mean, if you look at some of the ingredients, you, you'd be shocked to find out how much soy is already in your diet. Salad dressings, protein bars, diet shakes, you name it. Soy will enhance estrogen and not even estrogen that you really want. In fact, in women, it can enhance the plant-based weaker estrogen and then block their own estrogen from getting in the receptor. And so they end up with this uh, estrogen deficiency, which creates a whole series of issues. So even though we're increasing estrogen, we're actually decreasing their own estrogen. All right, number seven, microwave popcorn. There's a certain chemical in the bag. It's called PFAS that is an endocrine disruptor. An endocrine disruptor is anything in the environment that mimics estrogen and destroys your endocrine system. And there's a lot of things out there. Uh, this is one of them, just avoid it. And of course, popcorn is not in the list anyway, so. All right, number eight, being fat will increase your testosterone. When you have more fat, you have more of this enzyme called aromatase. And what, what aromatase does is it converts your testosterone into estrogen at a mad rate. So the more fat you have in your body, the more estrogen you're gonna have, the less testosterone you're gonna have. But the good news is if you're on a low carb diet, you can lose all that fat. All right, next one on the list is aspartame and diet sodas. This interferes with brain chemicals that then can lower testosterone. You see, testosterone is really controlled by something in your brain. And so a lot of people are focused on the testicles, the adrenals that make testosterone, but really it's a reflection of the hypothalamus and pituitary. That's like the master glands that are controlling all your testosterone. So anything going on with your brain, let's say you have Alzheimer's or let's say you're getting dementia or any type of neurodegeneration is going to affect testosterone. So this is another really good benefit of going on a low carb diet. You generate ketones that help the brain. Well, you also help the pituitary and the hypothalamus, which directly help the hormones that it controls and testosterone is at the top of the list. All right, and the last one on the list is the water bottles that are made out of plastic. There are certain things in that plastic, specifically BPA, which act as an endocrine disruptor and can increase your estrogen. So either get a filter 
or use glass bottles like this right here. Anyway, I wanted to give you some additional information that goes beyond just steak and eggs to increase your testosterone. Now, if you have not seen my video on the benefits of eggs, you might want to check that one out. I put it right here. Hi, welcome to listening to our health issues with Dr. Berg. I believe he's got it together for us. Now, what would happen if you starved yourself for seven days? It sounds real scary, and some people associated starving with dying, but in reality, it would be the healthiest thing that you can do for your body. In fact, out of all the things you can do for your health, I don't think there's anything that could compare with what you could do with just fasting. Now, I'm gonna get into the difference between fasting and starving in a minute, but if it is true that out of all the things, fasting can create more health than anything else, then by logic, it must also be true that frequent eating will create the most health problems that you could have. And I think that is true. I mean, take a look at how many people eat frequently. Three square meals, snacks between meals, grazing at night. I think the majority of the population is literally eating constantly. I mean, I remember in practice, there were people that would be eating so frequently they had to even get up in the middle of the night and consume some food or they would have blood sugar issues. I didn't know back then that low blood sugar problems, hypoglycemia, could be easily corrected by not eating so frequently. I was under this assumption, this false assumption, that you had to eat to prevent hypoglycemia. And there are just certain people that have blood sugar issues and that's the way that you have to handle it. In fact, people with hypoglycemia or low blood sugar could easily correct it by doing intermittent fasting. All right, so how long could a person live without water? Well, about three to five plus days. The person who took the world record at surviving without food and water lasted about 18 days, but it wasn't 100%. Uh, he was thrown in a jail and people forgot about him. And the only thing that he survived on as far as liquids was the condensation on the cell wall. I really don't know how much water there is when you have condensation, but it's probably not that much. But he lasted 18 days and someone did find him, so he didn't die. And as far as someone living without food, the person who was in the Guinness Book of World Records lasted 382 days without eating any food. Now he drank water, tea, coffee, he took vitamins, electrolytes, and he even consumed yeast for his B vitamins and for some amino acids. A lot of people don't realize that uh, nutritional yeast is loaded with B vitamins, amino acids, and trace minerals. So he lost a total of 276 pounds, which is 125 kilograms. He started at 456 pounds and he went all the way down to 180 pounds. So he fasted for over a year. What you have to realize is the average person who is not overweight has enough fat calories on them, survive quite some time. They have about 100,000 calories. So if a person roughly weighs 150 pounds and they're burning between 1,000 to 2,000 calories per day, they have enough fat fuel to last about 67 days without food. Now what happens when you stop eating is that there's some initial discomfort between one and two days. You might be a little bit hungry because you're not used to it. You haven't adapted to fat quite yet. 
you might feel a little bit weaker, but if you had some salt and electrolytes with potassium, you wouldn't be fatigued. But very shortly, by the second and third day, you would find that your hunger would start to go away. You will no longer have an appetite. Now, I wanna talk about the difference between starving your body and fasting, because a lot of the side effects from starvation occur when you're not consuming nutrients. So when you're doing fasting, and the type of fasting I'm gonna recommend, you're drinking enough fluids, you're taking your nutrients, you're just not having anything of substantial calories. Now, the body will start to starve when it runs out of fat. If you have enough fat, you're not gonna starve because your body's gonna live off the fat as the backup fuel. Now, when you're starving, you have no more fat, so the body's gonna go after its muscle, it's gonna eat up its muscle for fuel, and it's also gonna eat up its organs. But when you're fasting, you're gonna just purely burn fat. This is its purpose. I think just people have not tapped into this because there's so much food available. In fact, when you're fasting, your body protects its muscles. This is called protein sparing. Your demand for amino acids and repair goes way down. Your body becomes very, very efficient at what it does. So the main fuel with fasting is fat calories. The main fuel when you're starving is your own muscle calories and organ calories. Now, when you're starving, your appetite is just incredibly intense. You're gonna be hungry for everything and you'll pretty much eat almost anything. But when you're fasting, you have no appetite because you are eating when you're not eating. You're eating your own fat reserve and it's a clean energy and you crave nothing. Now, with starving, you're gonna be very apathetic, okay? But when you're fasting, your mood is greatly elevated. Your emotions are enhanced. You feel euphoric. So if you haven't seen uh, one of my videos, which I'll, I'll put at the end of this video, there was a gentleman who decided to uh, end his life. He wanted to commit suicide. Everything was going downhill. He had diabetes. He had all sorts of issues. So he went in his room and he stopped eating for three days. And it rebounded on him because he started feeling better emotionally, physically, to the point where he started to go online and search about fasting and it turned his life completely around. I'll share that video in a little bit. Like I said before, fasting is hands down the most important thing you can do for your health. Now, when you're starving, you have atrophy of the muscles, but when you're fasting, you get a huge spike of growth hormone. In fact, if you compare high intensity exercise with fasting, with exercise, you're only gonna get like a spike of growth hormone by 700%. But with fasting, you can get a spike of growth hormone by 2000%. And growth hormone is all about muscle synthesis and growing muscles and preserving muscles. And with starving, you're gonna be highly irritable. You're gonna be grouchy, just like you see with people that have low blood sugars. But with fasting, people become very, very pleasant they have a great sense of well-being. They're very nice to be around. They're not angry people, as I'm going to share in this success story at the end. This man was very, very uh, angry all the time, and he just could not believe how uh, that changed when he started doing fasting. It's actually quite remarkable. Now, with starving, there's a major cognitive decline. Your brain starts to shrink. You start losing focus. You start losing memory you start losing concentration, you can't concentrate. But with fasting, you have what's called neurogenesis. You start growing 
new nerve cells. You start growing a new brain. All sorts of very, very cool things like uh, the brain neurotrophic factor starts increasing and you become sharper. You have a better memory. You have a lot more focus. You become a lot more creative, more aware. I mean, out of all the things you can do, what could come even close to creating these amazing effects as compared to fasting? I mean, it's just mind blowing the positive impact that fasting can have on every single part of your body. Now, with starving, you're gonna be weak, you're gonna be tired, but with fasting, you stay strong and you have tons of energy. I mean, a good way to know if you're taking the right amount of electrolytes, B vitamins, nutrition, and trace minerals while you're fasting, is that you still have a lot of energy during the day and you can still maintain the same level of exercise performance as you do when you're eating. That is a good indicator to know that you're taking the right nutrition. Now, with starving, you have massive nutritional deficiencies, okay? You start having uh, deficiencies in B1, that's called beriberi. Severe, severe side effects from that. Uh, vitamin B3, pellagra. Your skin starts to get all rashy and scaly. A lot of problems. Now we have scurvy, right? No vitamin C. You start becoming extremely fatigued. You start getting bleeding gums. Your connective tissue falls apart. Your joints fall apart. And then a vitamin D deficiency, rickets. So this is where you have uh, severe bone pain, osteoporosis. You have very, very weak bones. Not to mention a severe problem with your immune system. You become susceptible to viruses and bacteria and infections very easily. But with fasting, your immune system starts to become very, very strong. In fact, you start developing more antibodies. You start becoming resistant uh, to viruses and bacterial infection. The stem cells in your bone marrow start to rebuild the immune system. Your body starts going into this self-regenerative recycling mode. It's called autophagy, where it takes all this damaged the proteins that are clogging everything up in your brain and your arteries and your eyes, and it starts to recycle that into new cells. So you start becoming younger by recycling the old waste. And with autophagy, you are cleaning out old, dormant viruses and bacteria. I mean, how cool is that? Now, with fasting, your antioxidant uh, networks are improved. So when you don't eat, your body makes more antioxidants. Wow, what a survival mechanism. With fasting, your insulin becomes more sensitive. And if you had a slow metabolism, your metabolism starts becoming stronger and faster. If you have metabolic syndrome where you have high blood pressure, that tends to go away. Also with metabolic syndrome, you have a belly fat. You see, if you ate nothing for seven days, you would lose at least 4.9 pounds of actual fat. Now, when you're fasting, your microbiome, the good bacteria in your gut, start to become very diversified. They start to live longer, and you start enhancing different strains of friendly microbes. So you strengthen not just your microbiome, but the intestinal wall in your gut as well. So if you have leaky gut, you have permeability issues, that all improves. If you have allergies, those improve. If you have gut inflammation, that improves. All inflammation in the body tends to go bye-bye with fasting. And that relates to autoimmune diseases, arthritis, bursitis, tendonitis, anything related to inflammation 
and pain. If you have pain, that goes away too. The detox enzymes in your liver start to become strengthened. So your ability to detox improves. Your cell's ability to resist stress increases. So your cellular tolerance of stress improves. So let's say, for example, you have cancer and you have to go on chemo or radiation. Your cells resist that toxicity more when you do fasting. When you fast, you take someone from being sympathetic dominant in flight or fight mode to more parasympathetic dominant, where you're calm and you're more relaxed. And to put the icing on the cake, no pun intended, when you fast, you kill off cancer cells like crazy. If you have a tumor, the tumor starts shrinking. Out of anything that you can do for cancer, fasting is the most powerful thing you can do. The only catch-22 with doing fasting uh, for cancer is that you have to have some fat in your body to really do it effectively, but there are some things you can do if you are thin or frail, and I'm gonna put that link down below related to cancer. So I hope I convinced you to do more fasting, not just intermittent fasting, but periodic prolonged. Let's talk about the 14 things you can consume to make fasting much easier. Realize that when you do fasting, anything that you're consuming other than water is going to break your fast to some degree. But these are the items that will have a very, very minor effect on your ability to get right back into fasting. And when we're talking about fasting, we're talking about lowering your ketosis, we're talking about raising insulin, that type of thing. And obviously the biggest thing that will break your fast is refined carbohydrates or sugar, okay, the high carbohydrate diet. Uh, protein also has the ability to break your fast because protein can stimulate insulin and a good portion of protein actually turns into fuel in your body. And this is why um, if you're doing fasting and then let's say you work out and you take some branch chain amino acids right before the workout during your fast, you will break your fast because that would stimulate glucose or collagen or bone broth. Um, those will actually increase insulin. Now, the two things that don't seem to have that much effect on insulin are fats and fiber. Fiber has a zero effect on insulin. So when you're consuming leafy greens, for example, that are very high in fiber, low in sugar, that will have a very minimal effect on insulin. But on the flip side of that, anything that you eat in general of any significance, if it has a certain quantity of calories, can stimulate insulin to a certain degree. So that being said, let's just go through the things that you could consume that will have a minimal effect on your ability to stay in ketosis and do your fast. Now, number one, MCT oil. Uh, this is very, very good, um, especially when you're starting out, uh, especially in the morning, maybe to put in your coffee because MCT oil will turn into ketones very, very fast. And then your brain can run on the ketones, your heart can run on the ketones. You're, you can use these ketones as energy and MCT oil will allow you to go longer without getting hungry. Um, so that would be number one. Number two, coffee. Coffee does not have a lot of calories and it doesn't seem to break the fast very much. So coffee would be okay, as long as you don't put sugar in it. Now, if you add an alternative sweetener, 
maybe a little um, erythritol or stevia or monk fruit, uh, that would be totally fine. But let's say, for example, you want to add whole cream. So a little bit of whole cream will have a very minor effect, and I wouldn't worry about it too much. So coffee can help you fast longer. It can reduce hunger. Number three, exogenous ketones. Uh, another name for this would be ketone salts. So let's say, for example, you're fasting and you feel tired or you have brain fog. Um, you can basically just take ketones, and they go into your blood, and then your brain will pick it up because if the brain has a choice between glucose or ketones, it'll always pick ketones. But if your body has not adapted yet and you haven't generated the ketones, um, you could end up with low blood sugar and you might feel kind of funky and tired. But if you provide the ketones for the brain, it will suck them up and use them for brain energy. So this could help you uh, feel better while you're fasting, especially with brain fatigue or lethargy. Number four, tea. Drinking tea can greatly help you go longer uh, when you fast, especially with the phytonutrients and the herbs that make up the tea. Number five, electrolytes. By taking certain minerals, and realize there's hardly any calories in here, unless you're getting the wrong type of electrolytes that has glucose in it, which we never recommend. But the minerals, the trace minerals and electrolytes will actually help your blood sugars and help your energy of your muscles and it just makes it easier to do fasting. Number six, probiotics. Probiotics are healthy bacteria that can help stabilize blood sugars. All right, number seven, B vitamins. B vitamins will help insulin resistance. It will give you energy. So these B vitamins are needed at the cellular level, especially when you're doing fasting or ketosis. All right, apple cider vinegar has a great effect on your blood sugars, and it can allow you to go a lot longer without eating. Now, if you're doing kombucha tea, a lot of times they have a bit too much sugar in that product, so you wanna read the labels. If you find one with two grams, that might be okay, but even two grams uh, could be too much for some people. So it really depends on your, your metabolism, but I will say that, generally speaking, this is lower amounts of sugar than other types of tea, and it has a good probiotic and a good acid to help you um, go longer, especially at night. Let's say you you want a replacement for beer or wine or champagne. This has a similar texture and carbonation that can act as a substitute. Number nine, fiber. Fiber does not stimulate insulin and it's food for your microbes. And the microbes actually make butyric acid, which is actually kind of a, in the family of ketones and that can help stabilize your blood sugars and improve insulin resistance. So. If you were to do a concentrated green fiber or a wheatgrass juice powder, that usually should be totally okay because you get the nutrients from it. And if you're doing a green drink with fiber, the fiber actually can act as food for your microbes. So that would be something that could enhance things because you're, it's almost like you're consuming a dehydrated form of a vegetable and you can even feel more satisfied with that. All right, number 10, erythritol. Um, so you can put that in your coffee. But erythritol has a zero effect on the glycemic index. So it gets absorbed in the small intestine, and it gets in the blood, and it gets pushed out to the kidneys unchanged. So it's a sweetener. So if you were to add that with the tea or the coffee, whatever, that would be fine. Or stevia or monk fruit. Um, these three sweeteners do not have hardly any effects 
on your blood sugars. Number 11, lemon juice. Now there is a little bit of carb in lemon juice, but a little lemon juice in your water is totally fine. And for the most part, it really won't break your fast for more than a minute, okay? But it can actually help reduce the risk of kidney stones and even gout or high levels of uric acid. All right, number 12, amino acid blend. So protein in general will stimulate insulin, but there are certain blends of amino acids like the keto essential amino acids that have an effect of not providing fuel for the body, but mainly for recovery. So straight amino acid blend could have a great effect uh, right after you work out to give you certain amino acids without giving you that insulin spike. If you want more information, I put a link down below. All right, number 13 is sea salt. Uh, this is very, very important. I recommend the Himalayan pink sea salt. That would be uh, something that I really like. But sea salt actually can make you uh, actually feel stronger, your muscles. It can help with your energy level because if you're deficient in salt, you can have like the keto flu or keto fatigue. So this could give you more energy. And lastly, number 14 is just water. Now, I'm not just recommending drinking massive amounts of water like gallons to somehow satisfy you, but I will say that when you're doing fasting, um, if you're a stone former and you develop kidney stones, you may find that your uric acid goes up and potentially you could form a uh, uric acid stone. But if you're drinking enough water, I'm talking about two to 2.5 liters per day, you're gonna pretty much dilute the urine so you're not gonna form a kidney stone. So drinking more water can help you. Now, when you're doing fasting, you're gonna find that you're gonna get a fluctuation in hormones. And when you get this fluctuation, you may go through a little bit of hunger at certain points, especially in the morning at eight o'clock when you have a little spike of cortisol and you might feel like you need to eat. If you just ignore that transient hunger, that will go away in most cases. But if it persists, then go ahead and eat. But if you're going through a little wave of, um, I'm a little hungry and then all of a sudden it goes away, just realize that is just a hormonal flux and you just wanna ignore it and push through that and go a little bit longer. All right, thanks for watching. So I wanted to say thank you so much for watching my videos. I really, really appreciate it. Now, if you have benefited from my information or videos, and want to share it with the world, I would love to have you write up a success story. So click the link down below, fill it out, and let's let people know the benefits of healthy keto and intermittent fasting.